0: Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. late on the afternoon of the 24th of March 2018 in Australia in the middle of a fairly average uh, series of test cricket against South Africa. And then something bizarre happens. One of the young new players called Cameron Bancroft is filmed by TV cameras rubbing something yellow on the ball. The footage is not only played on the TV screens at home but at the ground too Uh, and uh, as the footage replays time and time again the young player looks up and realises that he's been busted. He quickly tries to hide this yellow thing that he's been seen rubbing on the ball and the umpires approach him asking him what's going on. He pulls out A different coloured rag from his pocket and says, oh, nothing. I'm just polishing the ball like uh, any normal person would do. Uh, And the umpires look at the ball and it looks okay and the game carries on. At the end of the day, uh, the young Bancroft and his captain Steve Smith front up to the cameras uh, and are asked what on earth was going on. And this time... They offer a new explanation. It's not a rag, but it was a yellow piece of sticky tape, they say, which didn't have any effect on the ball anyway, so everyone should just chill out and not worry about it. And of course then Australia wakes up and we hear this conference and everything goes badly from there. Again, investigations are launched, and of course we know now uh, that finally the uh, explanation, the truth, comes out. It was sandpaper. Here was our Australian cricket team engaged in cheating, and we were all suitably outraged. One wonders what might have happened if, instead of seeking alternate explanations at every point, they'd simply just owned up at the start. Oops. You got me. I've done a silly thing. Alternative explanations. Uh, people love these, don't they? People love to try and explain away things. So For, for Cameron Bancroft and Steve Smith, they were trying to explain away a, a bad situation and offer uh, other options to explain the facts. Uh, we, you might remember when Donald Trump was inaugurated, that the term alternative facts began to uh, trend on Twitter because, uh, of course, in true Trump style, uh, he had had the greatest and most well-attended uh, inauguration of all time. And then photos came out that showed hardly anyone was there and, he, and so his press secretary dreamed up this world. Well, we are basing our, uh, our statements on alternative facts. Alternative explanations, alternative facts. We've got basically something like that going on in our story that we read from Luke's Gospel today. We read uh, in verse 14 that Jesus drives out a demon and here before the people is a man who they know, who was mute, who never used to be able to talk and now he can speak. And we've got a whole bunch of people who we read in verse 14 are amazed by this, but we've got a whole bunch of other people who are seeking some sort of alternative explanation, some alternative set of facts. It's just a rag. It's just a yellow piece of sandpaper. There are actually more people than the photos show. For these people, the the alternative facts operate in two different ways. You've got a bunch of people in verse 15 who say, he's a demon. He drives out demons with the power of demons, with Beelzebub, the prince of demons. They have to admit Jesus has got some sort of power. They can't deny the mute man now speaks. But they can debate where his power comes from. Not from God. We don't need to listen to this guy. He's not from God. He's just another one of these demons. They are rejecting Jesus by coming up with some alternative explanation for who he is and what he's doing that means they can ignore him. And then the second group of people in verse 16 respond with really unreasonable scepticism. As if all the healings they've heard about and this miracle of uh, uh, demon busting that they've just witnessed wasn't enough. us. This other group of people, they don't want to uh, attribute uh, Jesus' power to another source. They just want to say, oh, maybe it's some sort of party trick and I'm not really going to be convinced until I see some sort of unmistakable sign from heaven. We've all met this kind of person, haven't we? I believe in God if he just revealed himself in no uncertain terms. Like if on top of Mount Wellington right now, the clouds kind of drew back and out came a loud voice that we could hear in Linda's farm. Then I believe in God. Well, Jesus responds to these two objections in the rest of our reading today. He, he seeks to uh, rebut these alternative explanations and point people to the truth that in Christ comes the kingdom, that in Christ comes salvation, that he is the promised Messiah and that the best response is not to figure out what the alternative facts are, but rather to respond with trust and faith. Verses 17 to 28, you see Jesus responding to the first alternative explanation. He's a demon. He drives out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. Jesus basically gives two answers as to why this can't be the case. First one we read in verses 17 and 18. We see Jesus saying, it doesn't make sense for the prince of demons to go around kicking uh, his other demons out of people. That, 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 that would be stupid. That's a, that's a kingdom divided and a kingdom divided cannot stand. If I was the prince of demons, I'd be going around making people more demon possessed, effectively is what Jesus is saying. But I'm not doing that. I'm pushing them back. A house divided cannot stand. It's a, it's a sort of silly proof you've come up with, Jesus is saying. And then in verse 19, he gives this other Explanation In our translation it reads, Now if I drive out dream- demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, a, a more literal translation of that verse would go something like this. But if I expel demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons expel them? For this reason they will be your judges. It's not clear who Jesus is is talking about in this verse. It could be Jewish exorcists. So it could be people who... Uh, uh, it could be that Jesus is trying to say to these people, well, if I'm driving out demons by uh, the prince of demons, who, who are the people who, who you think do it in God's power? What, what's the source of their power? And how come you can determine the difference between one group or another group? He might be saying that. Or, and I think this is more likely, he's making a reference to his own disciples. You remember back in chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72. They come back from their mission and they say, wow, even the demons submit to us in your name. And so Jesus is saying, well, if I expel demons by Satan because I am uh, sort of that uh, I'm empowered by, by Beelzebub, then who do your sons, that is, these men whom you know, whom you've grown up with, who are maybe your actually son, your fellow human beings, who is it that they are driving the demons out by? Whatever it is that Jesus means, he's, it's clear that he's making an argument that would have made sense to those who were there, that either because of a kingdom divided or because of these other people who have also driven out demons, it it, it, it is not a good argument to say that Jesus is doing this by the power of Satan. And so Jesus says, verse 20, But if I drive out demons not by those things, but by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is saying that his miracles and in particular his casting out of demons that we're talking about today, this is evidence of the arrival of God's kingdom, of the thing that the Jewish people were looking forward to. They'd they'd read that story that we read in Daniel of, of the promised coming of the Son of Man who would bring the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, now the kingdom has come near and the demons are being pushed back. I bring with me the finger of God, the kingdom of God, the arrival of God's promised redemptive rule. See, Jesus' miracles, his healing of people, his casting out of demons, these were things that Jesus did to enable people to hear what he was saying. They were like a visual aid in the first century. Jesus used his miracles as like a picture to illustrate the coming of the kingdom of God, to illustrate that the words of God, the promises of God and his words were of God. Well, For the man who was possessed by a demon, he ultimately receives this salvation, doesn't he? He's saved from evil. He goes from mute to being able to talk. And as Jesus has now explained, I'm doing this in the power of God and I'm doing it to show you that God's kingdom has come. Jesus then moves on uh, to talk about uh, the power of evil and the importance of of coming to God. Jesus talks about how the power of God is greater than the power of evil or of Satan, verses 21 and 22. Let me read them to you. When a strong man fully armed guards his house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armour in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. If we're going to beat evil, Jesus is saying, then we need to do it with some, some, someone who's stronger. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because quite often when we are faced with our own sin, our own evil, we take the strong man approach. We try and work hard at fighting off our sin. We try and work hard at doing things better. But of course, when we do that, we find that we ultimately fail and that eventually we give in to sin. Our willpower fails us. It's not enough. And then often we find ourselves in a worse situation. When an, uh, uh, like Jesus talks about, verse 24 and 20 to 26, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. When we meet, when we try and meet power with less power, we always lose. And when we've tried to strong arm ourselves into submission to God and we eventually fail, often we give in, don't we? And we, we think, oh, well, I'm such a failure. I'll just give in to this sin completely and wholeheartedly. The battle against evil is real, and we are foolish to do it in our own strength. Many a people preach on this passage and make it about spiritual warfare. And it is about spiritual warfare, but not in the sense of quick, you better uh, look out, uh, make sure you, you, you sort yourselves out because more demons are going to come on, upon you if you, if you don't. Now I think we have here a, 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 really what you say a metaphor for the battle between good and evil and the need to confront evil, not with a lesser power, but with God's power. And as Jesus has been responding to all this criticism and as he says this story, this, we, we have this lady who says, oh, uh, Blessed is the mother who gave birth to you and nursed you. And Jesus responds, no, no, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And here we see the key, don't we, to overcoming evil. Not the strong man willpower approach, but through the word of God in response to Jesus Christ, in the power of his spirit. You see, I think ultimately this story is not a story about demons and how to beat them. It's actually a story to teach us about salvation. To receive true salvation, to receive true freedom, we don't simply need to clean house. We rather need someone greater than the evil with which we fight against. And the only thing greater than sin is God himself. We need the spirit of God fill us and empower us to live in freedom and to protect us from our sinful desires, from the return of the evil one. Jesus goes about proclaiming the message of the kingdom of God, demonstrating its arrival with powerful miracles and demanding a response to us and we're called not to respond with alternative facts but to respond with faith and trust As Paul recounts his own story of salvation in Acts, he quotes the words he heard Jesus spoke, speak to him in uh, t- chapter 26. He says that Jesus said to him that he'd been sent to open the eyes of the Gentiles and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. To reject Jesus is to sit under the power of Satan. And to receive the gift of salvation is to transfer from one kingdom to the other. From the kingdom of darkness to light. From Satan to Christ. Well, what of the second alternative explanation? Give us a sign, verse 16. Well, Jesus responds from verses 29 to 32 and he says, This is a wicked generation, verse 29. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Well, what is this sign of Jonah? You know the story of Jonah? Let me read to you uh, as one scholar reflects on this. He says... The pattern of events in the book of Jonah correspond to that, to that in the story of Jesus. Jonah is thrown into the sea and swallowed by the fish, returns three days later to the land of the living, and proclaims God's message to the men of Nineveh. And the career of Jesus so shows the same kind of sequence, death, burial, resurrection, proclamation. The difference between Jonah's sign to Nineveh and Jesus' sign to his own generation is that in Jesus, there is something greater than Jonah. Not someone greater, you notice. Jesus is not, strictly speaking, comparing himself with Jonah. It is the whole thing which is greater, deeper, and more real. Jonah experienced a kind of death, a kind of burial, a kind of resurrection, and he went to Nineveh with a kind of version of the good news, good but limited. But in Jesus, we have something greater. The Holy Spirit has broken into the world in power by means of a real death, a real burial, a real resurrection. And he's able to offer the world real salvation at the deepest possible level. Jonah illustrates and foreshadows what is made actual in the person Of Jesus. There is no greater sign than the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. His actual death, life, death, resurrection, and the actual proclamation of that by his disciples are well recorded. And so, as we hear this story in Luke today, we're invited to reject these alternative explanations and instead trust the truth, trust the evidence. And there is plenty, plenty. There will always be people who seek to explain away the Lord Jesus Christ, denying that he ever lived, denying that he was the Son of God, denying that he died and rose again. But of course, there is good evidence to believe the facts that Jesus is the one who brings salvation, that Jesus is the saviour of the world, that Jesus is the bringer of the promised kingdom of God. Now, recently, I've been listening to a podcast uh, called Undeceptions by John Dixon. And it's published by Eternity Magazine. And let me commend it to you highly. Uh, Each week, uh, John Dixon, who's a minister and a historian, spends about 30 or 40 minutes basically showing you why there's really a lot of good evidence for the Christian faith. Why science doesn't disprove Christianity. Why you can trust the Bible's account of events. And on and on it goes, week after week. And if you're sceptical, perhaps this will help you. Or if you don't really have an answer to your sceptical friends, perhaps this will help you. i found it such a personal encouragement to be reminded that, that we are onto, a, onto a, something that really has a good basis in, in history. The evidence is out there. And you and I have a choice that we have to make. Either we make up some sort of excuse. Oh, Jesus was just a good guy. He was just a demon. Uh, It was just yellow tape or or a red rag. Or we can demand a level of proof that will never satisfy when Jesus has given us the greatest sign of all. The truth is that the kingdom of God has come And that your salvation has been won. And that all you need to do to receive it is humbly trust the explanation that God has caused to be brought to us in his word. And as you do that, he promises to give you his spirit. Who will powerfully work in your life, overcoming evil overcoming those things that you struggle with on a daily basis and placing you in community like this one that will help you and equip you and strengthen you and encourage you and that you can bless as you encourage others to trust Jesus. Will you do that today? I hope so. Amen. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church. www.lindisfarmingling.org.au Or like us on Facebook by searching England We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.